3: Hey, this is Brian Alvarez, and this is today's edition of the Wrestling Observer Daily Podcast on the 8 Side Network. Are you ready?
2: Are you ready? Let's get it on!
3: How's it going, everybody? Brian Alvarez here on Wrestling Observer Live. We are here every day, Monday through Friday, Noon Pacific, 3 Eastern, Sunday, 3 Pacific, 6 Eastern. Well, it's Monday here on the show, and you know what that means. We've got a lot of news to talk about. we got the Raw lineup for tonight, the Dynamite lineup for this coming Wednesday. We've got notes on Max Dupree, SmackDown, Rampage. Tons of news to get into here today. But if you have not heard, and I don't know how you would not if you're a wrestling fan, Antonio Inoki, the founder of New Japan Pro Wrestling, became one of the biggest pro wrestling stars in the history of Japan. ...has passed away. Yahoo News Japan confirmed he passed away Saturday morning in Japan. Inoki, 79, had been battling health problems and recent years had been confined to a wheelchair. Michael Cole, Corey Graves on SmackDown took time to speak on his death. Inoki started wrestling in 1960, training under Ricky Dozen, one of the first popular pro wrestling figures in Japan. Later in the decade, he formed a tag team with Giant Baba and the JWA, with the team winning the NWA International Tag Team titles four times... Bob would later form All Japan Pro Wrestling in 1972, becoming a direct competitor against Inoki's New Japan Pro Wrestling, who's a founder of New Japan Pro Wrestling. After being fired from JWA in 1971 for planning a takeover, he formed New Japan, one of his most famous bouts during this year, of course. Mixed martial arts match in 1976 against himself and Muhammad Ali, which ended in a draw. Headline One of the highest attended shows in pro wrestling history. Pyongyang, North Korea, defeated Ric Flair on the second night of a two day event. The announced crowds for those shows, 165,000 and 190,000, respectively. Although essentially everybody was commanded to be at the shows, so it's not like they sold those tickets, but still. Hinoki retired in 1998. Final match, a victory over Don Fry. He continued to run New Japan until 2005 when Yukes bought out Enoki's controlling stock with the company. Later founded a new promotion, Enoki Genome Federation, inducted into the Hall of Fame in 2010. We'll talk more about Enoki and all the news after the break. Observer Live. Back in the show, Brian Alvarez here, Wrestling Observer Live, Mike Simpervivi, also WrestlingObserver.com. I know Mike's got a lot to say about Inoki. Can I Can I say a few things first, Mike? You sure can. I'm going to try and not just be totally scattered because a lot of a lot of this, I mean, we can go back well over 100 years to look at like this whole Antonio Inoki story because I am, in fact, as some of you may know, because I've said it a thousand times, I'm a black belt in Gracie Jiu-Jitsu you wear that, Mike? I am. I am. And uh, a so sour. I've always been interested in like the history of jiu-jitsu and pro wrestling and mixed martial arts and how all of this ties together. And no one will really know everything, and people will argue about this or that, but if you go back 100 years, 120 years, and you look at the jiu-jitsu scene in Brazil, I mean... Most people will tell you, and it's probably true, that Elio Gracie never was involved in any sort of worked matches because he hated it. But the scene, I, I find it impossible to believe that they did not do pro wrestling and pro wrestling style programs. Because if you go back and you look at how often people had these big fights and and really the storylines, I mean, I'm not saying that you know, I don't want to be a conspiracy theorist, but let's, let's be real. In both pro wrestling and, I'm sure, jiu-jitsu in Brazil and around the world, there were a lot of worked fights to create programs, to draw money, to make people money, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. I mean, this is not something that was just exclusive to pro wrestling. So the founder of Gracie Jiu-Jitsu, Elio Gracie, had a very famous match in the 50s against Kimura, And this was in Japan, and essentially what happened, there's, of course, the Gracie side of the story, and then uh, actual what happened. And, uh, you know, he got beaten. Elio Gracie got beaten. He was beaten with the Kimura, and the Kimura is named the Kimura because of Kimura and the fact that he beat Elio Gracie with this Kimura. So Kimura, Masahiko Kimura, he also did some pro wrestling in Japan. And one of his pro wrestling matches, uh, there was a, I believe it was a tag team match, and on the other side was Ricky Dozan, who was a Japanese professional wrestler. And Ricky Dozan is an all-time, all-time legend, not just of Japanese pro wrestling, but of pro wrestling. And one of the reasons that happened was because in a match with the famous Kimura, He essentially beat the hell out of him. He shot on him and beat him up. And that, combined with the fact that, you know, Japan had lost World War II, and they were looking for a hero. And Ricky Dozan was that hero, and they would bring in large Americans. And Ricky Dozan, coming off, you know, destroying Kimura, and then beating all of these Americans, he became an all time legend. And he was eventually murdered. But Enoki um, Inoki was trained by Ricky Dozan. And this link, you know, I believe that in Inoki's mind, and this this was why, like, throughout Inoki's life, he was all about showing that pro wrestling was the strongest. And he was he was obsessed with you know showing how strong uh, pro wrestlers were and studying what eventually became mixed martial arts and shoot style and the whole shebang i think it dates all the way back and the famous fight with with muhammad ali was it was an early mma fight and because of the rules it ended up being what it was which was a 15 minute boring match where You know, Anoki went down on his back and he leg kicked Anoki, but they weren't going to go to the ground and they weren't going to do grappling on the ground or anything like that. And, you know, it's a horrible match, but it is an absolutely famous match for a lot of reasons. And for those that follow Mixed Martial Arts, I mean, essentially, it was not the birth of Mixed Martial Arts, but a lot of people will say it was the birth of Mixed Martial Arts. And, you know, he, if it were 2022, he won. He beat Muhammad Ali. But because of the rules, it was a draw, and most people didn't understand what happened in the fight, and therefore it did not hurt the sport of boxing or Muhammad Ali. Although it may have hurt, you know, Muhammad Ali physically in the sense that you know, this could have uh, been one of the things that led to his decline was the abuse that he took to his legs in this match. But one way or the other, they had this match, and you know, of all people, I was reading the New York Times article, and Connor McGregor noted that man. There was a moment where they were on the ground, and you know, Inoki moved to the mount, and of course, it was stopped and stood back up again. But if he had armbarred or choked out Muhammad Ali, everything would have been different. You know, if you're if you're older, if you're my age or older, I mean, you grew up in that era where what is fighting? Well, it's boxing. And then, you know, there's there's karate. And nobody knew. I shouldn't say nobody knew, but that was like the idea. It's like nobody knew about concussions. Nobody knew what a real fight really looked like. Because to everybody in this country, at least, a real fight was two dudes standing there with giant gloves on and hitting each other. And the reality that that some people knew in, in martial arts was that, man, you know, a great wrestler takes down a boxer. And they even talked about this a little bit on WWE television, like, uh, Gorilla Monsoon had made this comment, you know, decades ago that, you know, a good wrestler takes down Muhammad Ali and it's over. But, you know, to most of, of America, nobody believed that. The heavyweight boxer is the toughest man in the world. And then, of course, this all led ultimately to the uh, debut of UFC, and people found out what an actual fight really was. And they had, you know, the boxer that went in with one glove and got killed on the ground by this skinny guy, Hoist Gracie. Who actually was not small at all. He was like six feet tall, but they like to tell stories. Anyway, and so on and so on. So with Anoki, he was always about, you know, he would bring in he would bring in fighters from other disciplines for pro wrestling matches and beat them because he wanted to prove that pro wrestling was the strongest, the greatest martial art. And ultimately, to cut to the chase, at the end of the day, he went too far as we all learned in the early 2000s, where, in fact, he began bringing in fighters to actually fight his professional wrestlers. And uh, it was a disaster. And this ultimately led to his ousting from New Japan, and we could talk about that and everything. But the one thing that I don't think Anoki realized at the end was fans didn't necessarily need to know that the pro wrestlers could win legitimately win all these fights it was enough for wrestling fans to believe that hey this may not be on the level but these are some bad dudes and they would suspend their disbelief as as they would beat these real fighters but i don't think they ever needed to actually see them beat real fighters and then when they went in and lost to real fighters well that hurt the aura of uh, yuji nagata etc and and so, really, that's kind of the, the story of Enoki. Of I mean, he came up wanting to prove that these athletes were the toughest athletes in the sport. And for decades, he was actually, he, he it's what helped make him a legend, but at the end of the day, he went too far and it had bit him in the ass. And that's the story of Antonio Enoki, the short story. I mean, we could talk for decades, but that's kind of what I was thinking when I heard about the death of Enoki. An incredibly
1: complex and complicated legacy. It, it really is. And you've said a mouthful there. An incredible butterfly effect with a lot of things when it comes to Inoki. What if Inoki, we always hear about Jim Crockett promotions and the selling of the WTBS time slot by WWF because Vince McMahon needed the money before WrestleMania. He had exhausted a lot of his, his credit. Well, he makes a million-dollar booking deal with Antonio Inoki. He ends up screwing over Inoki by taking Hogan and Andre away over the next two years. But that million dollars, Vince needed that money. What if Antonio Inoki doesn't go all in on wanting pro wrestling to really, truly still be strongest and for these pro wrestlers, the facade to still be raised up? What if he doesn't do that when it comes to Yuji Nagata? and then later on with Shinsuke Nakamura. What if Hiroshi Tanahashi that had been approached with leaving with Keiji Muto, with Kendo Kashin, when they had enough of Inokiism towards the end, what if he leaves? There is so much to talk about with Antonio Inoki, and I'm not sure how much we're going to do today, but it is a fascinating story, much like Rikidozen, much like Santo. He's on a par when it comes to culture in their countries, at a little bit of a different level than almost anybody in
3: this country could ever be. We're headed to a break. Back in a moment with more Wrestling Observer Live. coincidence i think not everybody's loving having fun with it chumba casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime anywhere even at thirty thousand feet so sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus that's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life
2: no purchase necessary btw void were prohibited by loss. see
3: terms and conditions 18 plus
0: are you tired of your scented cleaning products smelling and cleaning like meh then it's time for an upgrade The ones with the little umbrella. Refresh your home to feel like an all inclusive vacation by getting Clorox Sentiva. Also available in grapefruit and lavender scents at a nearby retail store.
3: Back in the show, Brian Alvarez here, Wrestling Observer Live. Mike Sempervivi, also of WrestlingObserver.com. We can talk more about Anoki later in the show. I'm going to go over a little bit of the news here and then we can uh, do questions or whatever. And, of course, uh, Wrestling Observer Radio Friday with Garrett and last night with Dave and I. A lot of talk. Hours on Inoki, and I'm sure there's more to come. All right, Raw tonight. We have a contract signing for Bianca and Bailey's Raw Women's Title Ladder Match at Extreme Rules. Matt Riddle and Seth Rollins go face-to-face. And they've announced that Daniel Cormier is going to be the referee of their Fight Pit match coming up Saturday at the pay-per-view. We have Ray and AJ versus The Judgment Day. Braun Strowman versus Chad Gable. Johnny Gargano versus Otis. And Candice LeRae and Dakota Kai. That's your lineup for Raw tonight. And then Dynamite on Wednesday has Daniel Bryan, or Bryan Danielson and Daniel Garcia against Chris Jericho and Sammy Guevara. MGF versus Wheeler Yuta. Hangman Page versus Roosh. Tony Storm, Athena and Willow Nightingale versus Jamie Hayter, Serena Deeb and Penelope Ford. Darby Allen versus Jay Lethal. Luchasaurus will be in action. And who knows? Maybe he'll be part of National Scissoring Day with the acclaimed and Billy Gunn. I think we should celebrate National Scissoring Day here on this show as well. But I don't really know how. You know what I'm saying? You're way over there. Don't give me that face. And what's with a win, dude? Well... Holy smokes these are the after effects of hurricane
1: Ian blowing up the the east coast and uh we we really barely got anything at all if that tells you what it was like if you down in that hurricane in Florida and I don't know how many people are listening right now because they're concerned their power is still off. But uh, best wishes to everybody down there. Obviously, it affected wrestling all around the world last week. Jonah couldn't make his way to New Japan in London. Obviously, there were a bunch of people that were off the AEW and WWE shows that needed to be uh, rewritten a little bit. So best wishes to everybody down there because it had to have been nasty.
3: All righty, AW no longer airing through broadcaster space. AW is no longer on space in several countries, including Mexico, South America, and Central America. So as noted last night on the Observer Radio Show, what happened was their deal was coming due, and they were not offered what they felt was a fair deal to continue, and so they pulled it. And now, if you are in any of those places, except Brazil, in, in, uh, in uh, Brazil, you can still watch it on space. But everywhere else, you have to subscribe to AEW+. I guess they figured that they could make more money getting people to subscribe to AEW+, than the, what they were offered for the space deal. And the belief is that there may be some other options, and that's why they didn't want to commit to a multi-year deal with space. Because once you are committed to the deal, you're committed to the deal. In theory, of course. So that's the story there. And, you know, we're not going to play gloom and doom here. But it's not always, you know, it's been this case for quite a while. That every time a deal is up, people are offered significantly more money for it. And quite frankly, WWE will be offered significantly more money for their next deal. But it's not like a guarantee. I mean, and you got to look at also with AEW... I mean, I'm not saying that if they if they got the same, if they were offered the same amount of money at their next television deal, that they, like, pull it and go to fight. But, you know, they have to take into account a lot of different things. They may not be offered less money, but they may not be offered much more money. And then there are decisions that have to be made. Do we accept this offer? Do we let this expire? Do we uh, start, you know, negotiating with other people? So we shall see what happens when their deal comes due.
1: And deals like this are not wholly unusual, too, where Brazil is not part of that package. Why are you so quiet? What happened? I I don't know. Why am I so quiet? Oh,
3: you're... Can you hear me? Yes, I can hear you just fine. Can you hear me? (laughs) No, you sound like you're on the telephone. What? Your tie lines, your cable's all messed up. How about now? There we go. That's better. You gotta jam it into that thing. Don't you know anything about anything? All right, go ahead. Television
1: we'll, deals. Maybe we'll find that if out. If you'd only during, been scissoring, we wouldn't have this problem. Oh, that's we'll have to find that out during scissoring day. we got to make sure we jam it in there to give the people what they need. But uh, Golly. Deals, deals like this are not wholly unusual in South America when Brazil is not part of the deal for obvious reasons. It's because, well, they speak Portuguese there, so they end up having a, a separate deal for Spanish language. So a lot of people were wondering about that, but it's not really all that unusual. We may need to get you a new cable. We'll uh, monitor Probably. this throughout the sounding Something's here. weird. You just jiggled
3: it and it worked? S- Sometimes that's how that works. You just jostled it a little and all of a sudden? Yeah, you just slap I it see. about a little bit. All right. Well, Max Dupree. You know, I predicted this yesterday in the Observer Radio show. I can't help but note that Dave was skeptical. Oh, yeah? Max Dupree will reportedly be returning to the L.A. Knight character as portrayed in NXT. He is back to being listed as L. A. Knight on the internal roster. Meanwhile, Musay Mansua and Maxine Dupree will continue under the maximum. So I like that. So he ha- he got a uh, what is now apparently a fake name, but then he ended up with his sister with the same fake last name. But now he's going back to his other name, but she's keeping the fake last name. Is That what's sure. going on. Okay. Yeah. All right.
1: I just is Mansour keeping Mansoir? You mean Mansoir? Is he keeping Mansois when they go over to Saudi Arabia, or do you even bring him
3: over to Saudi Arabia? Why can't you bring him to Saudi Arabia's Mansois? That's his name.
1: I don't know. Do you, do you really want to see Mansois getting his ass kicked all over? If he that's doesn't your, have to lose. Mansois tr-
3: can go over there and get a big win. He can he, Really? Yes, Who do of you have course beat? he can. It's fake. Who do you have him beat? Bro, anybody. Otis. It doesn't matter. Oh, come on. You can't, can't beat anybody. Otis. He can beat oh. anybody. Chad Gable, though, maybe. Chad Gable. For the first match back in twelve years, Ricky Steamboat will be teaming with multi-promotional tag team champions FTR at November's Return of the Dragon show in Raleigh. This story is so weird to me, Why? because when they were uh, when they were talking about Ric Flair's last match, everybody was talking about how Ricky Steamboat may be on the other side of a multi-person match, and you know Ricky Steamboat did this big speech about how. You know, I don't want to come back. You know, I my last matches, everybody's gonna remember those. And this whole thing about how he's just done. So they do the match, and then a month later, hey, I'm on my way back. <laughs> and granted he's teaming with FTR. Yeah. But you know what, uh what worries me? What? Well, the opponents there's a mystery opponent. Yeah. Jay Lethal, Brock Anderson, and a mystery opponent. Uh oh let me make this abundantly clear i don't think it's rick flair oh no i don't think it's rick flair but if you want me to come on the air here and with a straight face tell you there's no chance it's rick flair i ain't gonna do that so i guess we'll see well the
1: billing is arn anderson's four horsemen including jay lethal as Black Machismo, who was never part of I don't you can't even tie that into the four horsemen at all, but Jay Lethal's in the match along with Brock Anderson. I doubt we're going to get Tessa Blanchard, so you know, I guess there's a possibility it could be Ric Flair, but maybe there's a possibility that Ricky Steamboat maybe in the moment really didn't want to come back and do that match. And or Maybe he saw what was going to take place and saw the scenario laid out and went, nah, I don't know if I want to do this. I don't know if I want to come back for my last match and have it be alongside Ric Flair's last match. Especially if you had some doubt about how Ric Flair would fare in that match. So, with FTR, it's a six-man tag. He's got to stand on, you know, the corner of the ring. He'll hit somebody with a chop. I don't know if we're going to see a, a, a full flying body press or not, but... I guess if he can do it, cool. I'm fine with him never doing a match. I'm fine with a lot of people never wrestling again. I was fine with Brian Danielson, if that's all it was going to be. I'm fine with a lot of people not coming back. But if Ricky Steamboat feels as though he can
3: and he's cleared by a doctor, hey, I'm all for it, I guess. Listen, everybody. I'm not Ric Flair, for sure. But I was a wrestler, much like old Ric Flair. Here we go. Yeah, here's the deal, everyone. I was satisfied with my performance in that match with Filthy, okay? I was satisfied. So I was not I, impressed with your performance. I, Where's I the GSP draw? I have, no, I have no desire in me to do it again, okay? <laughs> Although, after watching Stardom, you know, if something happens to old Sabre Jr. But anyway. Bro, you ain't pulling no stumps there either. So, uh, but the thing with Flair is, Flair, and listen, he shouldn't have done the match, and he's old, and he's got whatever he's got inside him but <laughs> but he made a lot of mistakes that weekend he didn't eat at all that day he drank too much he was dehydrated it was a disaster okay and in his mind if in his mind he was like you know what man i felt great training huh. and man i just screwed everything up that day and if i did it again i'd eat I wouldn't drink too much, I'd be hydrated, and man, I could have a way better last match. And I'd I bet still you be delusional. Anything, I'll bet you anything that's going through his mind right now. I'm sure it is. I'm sure it is, and he'd be delusional
1: for thinking that, the same way he was probably delusional the last time around. I know. I'll probably want to prove something to myself until the day I die. I'm sure there's something out there. That, that I did not accomplish or I was close to and didn't finish, that I am going to drive myself nuts about, that I am going to want to make better or make good on or something like that. But at some point, at some point, you just got to let it go. I and think Ricky Steamboat, I am hoping he's just on those ropes for that match. I
3: think Flair watched my last match and said, I can't let this Alvarez kid have a better last match than me. Oh, for God's sakes. Back in a moment, Observer Live.
0: just the feeling of warm sand in between your toes and a fruity drink in your hand. The ones with the little umbrella refresh your home to feel like an all-inclusive vacation by getting Clorox Sentiva, also available in grapefruit and lavender scents at a nearby retail store.
3: Hey, come on! Well, back here on the show, Brian Elber is here, Wrestling Observer Live. Mike Zabravbee, also of WrestlingObserver.com. We had SmackDown and Rampage on Friday. Bro, this Rampage show. This was a good show. Like, I liked watching it, but I think I was the only one that watched it. There might have been some others. But this is not what you would call a marquee show. Now, I did a big review of this yesterday with Vinny and Craig, and I should have opened with this, and that is that I answered this in the Q&A. People were like, can we stop reviewing Rampage and review SmackDown now? And I said no, and this is why. Let's not forget that this was taped on Wednesday. And there were a number of talents that were affected by the hurricane and could not make it to the show. So I'm not saying that's the whole reason this was a non-marquee edition of Rampage. But I would, I would consider this an aberration. And we've got several weeks, I think a full month, of live Rampage shows. And, in, and the Battle of the Belts is also uh, this coming Friday night. So I think that we should give this a month. See how it goes? But this certainly was not a show where when you looked at the lineup, it's a must-see. Acclaimed Butcher and Blade and Private Party for the tag titles. I mean, it was just fine, but acclaimed one, of course. Lee Moriarty and Fuego Del Sol. Lee Moriarty just beat him. Then Morrissey chokeslammed him. We set up Andrade and Ten on this show in the middle of nowhere. They announced Andrade versus 10, Mask versus Career. (laughs) Seems a little dramatic. We had Jamie Hader beating Willow Nightingale. Like the match. It was a good match. But she won, Jamie Hader. And then we had a bunch of video packages. And then the main event, I love them and I like the match a lot. But it was Roosh versus John Silver. And they had a good match. Roosh killed him dead with the uh, bull's horns in the corner. And then that was the end. And then they set up a match with, uh, uh excuse me, uh, Roosh <laughs> and Hangman Page for, uh, this week. And then on the front page, our, our reviewer here wrote, and I quote, a perfectly fine, but unremarkable show. And what more can you say about this? It was a perfectly fine, but unremarkable show. And that was Rampage. That sounds fair to me. Sounds yeah. fair. Now, SmackDown. hmm SmackDown. Sami Zayn and Solo Sokoa beat Ricochet and Madcap, 12 minutes. And, man, you know, you're in Canada. And even if you were in Canada, the Sami Zayn's so over... Him and Solo beat Ricochet and Madcap, and they booed Ricochet and Madcap out of the building. And it wasn't even like Sami Zayn and and, and Solo Skoa worked babyface. They worked heel. And then the babyface made a comeback and got booed out of the building. And, of course, uh, Solo Skoa got the big win. And then they're they're going backstage to, to, to the locker room, and Jey Uso stops Sammy He says, I can see what you're—I see right through you. If you try to screw this family, and Sammy just points to the shirt and says, "Maybe she talked to old Roman." Walks into the room. So he did not deny that he was going to screw the family. It's a very strange storyline. I'm not sure where they're going here, but they're they're where they are now. They're making you, the viewer, think that Sammy's actually not a nice guy, and he's got a plan to screw the bloodline, and the bloodline is very popular. And in fact, Jay Uso is is in traditional storytelling, he's the babyface here. He sees this guy trying to screw his family. He doesn't like it. So we'll see where this goes. But it's uh this was an interesting little twist that they did right here. This is where fantastic shades of gray work.
1: There is nobody in that bloodline that's a good person. Again, this goes to the reservoir dog's concept of booking. Nobody here is a good guy, but everybody here is really great at what they do, and this feels like it's got a lot of Paul Heyman all over it. It's got a lot of Paul Heyman all over it when SmackDown's on, and he's standing right there with everybody, but this whole thing is great. It's got a lot of little release valves in there, depending on what directions that you want it to go, but... Solo Sokoa is the thing that's forgotten about in this because he's come up and immediately he is a believable presence as a guy who kicks ass as a member of that roster. So as far as a guy making a debut up from NXT, sure, he's in a great position, but he's lived up to his end of the deal so far.
3: We had the Drew McIntyre-Austin Theory match, which went a whopping two minutes to a horrible run in DQ, but it led to a six-man later, so that was that. We had a bunch of segments with Max Dupree and Maximum Male Models that led to him quitting, throwing all of his stuff down. He's no longer part of this group. Going back to old uh, L.A. Knight, which was also a horrible name. L.A. Knight. Hit Row beat Los Lotharios. It was fine. It was another two-minute match. Then we had Ronda Rousey versus Natalia. And, I mean, it was it was fun enough while it lasted. It wasn't perfect. But Ronda gets the ankle lock. And then, golly, they just love this angle. So out comes Liv Morgan. Ronda's head to the back, and her path is blocked by Liv Morgan. Liv Morgan has a bat. Ronda Rousey is unarmed. Liv Morgan goes to swing the bat... And Ronda Rousey avoids it and beats her ass. Beat her ass so bad, Mike just was painfully dehydrated. So she beats her and she beats her. And finally they give Liv a little something. And then Ronda beats her ass again. And then security comes out and security is dragging away Ronda Rousey. And Liv Morgan leaps in and attacks Ronda Rousey from behind. And they're pulled off again. And I just watched this thing and I thought, I thought the other guy was horrible at making baby faces. You're not doing Liv any favors here. She had a baseball bat. Ronda Rousey was unarmed. And Ronda Rousey still beat her ass. And I'm supposed to believe, I could not believe this segment. This sucked. At an Imperium promo, Sheamus came out. They attacked Sheamus. He fought back. They attacked him again. They laid him out. This sets up Sheamus versus Gunter for the Intercontinental title coming up on Friday. A match I believe that uh, Sheamus is likely going to win, but we'll see. Bailey beat Shotzi. Match was all right. And then afterwards, she's attacking Shotzi, so Bianca ran down to make the save. Uh, Bailey at first bailed then attacked her from behind. Bianca still grabbed her, was going to hit the KOD on the ladder, but Bailey grabbed the top rope and fled. And, uh, yeah, we'll see what happens in their ladder match. I'm a little worried about this ladder match as a result of the injury to Bailey and her recovery. Then they made a bet Drew McIntyre, Johnny Gargano, Kevin Owens versus Austin Theory and Alpha Academy. And uh, Babyface is one. McIntyre hit the Claymore on Theory. A lot of good action. The fans were into it. Good match. McIntyre grabbed the strap and whipped the hell out of Theory to end the show. You know, Vince had some things that he did, and uh, he's gone now, so they don't do it anymore. But he had some other things that they did. That man, they just uh, they they still do. One of them is making your baby faces look like geeks. You know, it doesn't happen a lot, but every now and then, like the Liv Morgan segment, she's a geek. Now, the rest of the baby faces on this show, they did they did fine with, but man, she was a geek. And then the other one they love to do is this awesome theory. He's got that money in the bank briefcase. And so they are not afraid to just beat and humiliate this guy. And in theory, he should either be the next champion or he's going to cash in and fail or whatever. But man, they give this guy nothing. It's like when you used to win a title and all they did was just beat you like a drum right and left. So, you know, they've changed a lot of things for the better. But, you know, Hunter isn't uh, diametrically opposed to Vince in every way. There were things that those two guys agreed on, and apparently this is one of those things. Well, thankfully, both
1: Austin Theory and uh, Liv Morgan are geeks. They really are. Liv Morgan has been a geek the entire time. She's been a dumb friend the entire time. She's been a weak person that is always going to, but she's strong inside because she lost, but I'm going to come back. They have done such damage to her, and she seemed like somebody they got over organically with the crowds, and they've messed it up. And if this is going to lead to her being a heel because fans are naturally down the line going to cheer Ronda because she's kicking ass, and that's how Charlotte returns or whatever you do, I'm actually all for that. I don't know if Liv Morgan, babyface underdog, unless she's going to be somebody that's certainly slotted a lot lower on the card and never a threat, okay, if that's what she's going to be, fine. But otherwise, turn her heel. When it comes to Austin Theory, He was a geek anyway. He was introduced as a geek, a smiling moron, standing next to Vince McMahon. And frankly, I kind of like what they've done with him, getting punched out, always getting tripped up, making to to be made to look like a fool, because I think you needed to tear their character back down to build him back up again. Now, at some point, you're going to have to build him back up again, but I don't think he's a character that they're all of a sudden going to give up on either. So I think... Everything is fine for right now. But they are geeks. I mean, they are being treated
3: in storyline how they are, because that's what they are. This uh this fella here said baby faces in pro wrestling have always been kinda stupid. Hold on a minute. Yeah. Uh, hold on. Yeah. There's a big difference between being stupid and being, for example, brave. Okay? Or she- be- Sheamus came out. Seamus came out and He's like, you know what, my my friends, they're stuck in Florida. They couldn't be here tonight. But you know what, I'm here, and he goes to the ring, and yeah, he got he got beaten up, but it's not like he the, his friends couldn't make it. That's different than I don't need no friends. I'm gonna take you guys on by myself. That that's that's stupid. The other's brave. He's 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 in a war and he's lost everybody. Well, I'm gonna fight to the end. Okay.
1: Well that's situational too. That's not always 100%. Sure, exactly. Nothing that's my but that's
3: my point. Like, you know, there's there's a difference between being brave and uh, when you talk about bravery, yeah, there's always there's always arguably a little bit of stupidity involved with a lot of bravery, not all of it, but sometimes. And uh, but that's different than just being stupid. And you also if you're a babyface, you know, you can be a good-hearted character that maybe sometimes is a little too trusting and you get screwed by bad people that's different than being stupid yeah and oftentimes in wwe more so with vince and anybody else you're you're stupid or the other the other word that's often used is uh you know probably not the right word especially with national scissoring day coming up but impotent okay and, of course, a word like that usually doesn't work for a female, but Liv Morgan was impotent. She had a baseball bat, okay? She had a baseball bat. She was squaring off against an unarmed opponent. She goes to swing said bat, and she gets booted in the stomach, and her ass kicked, okay? That is an impotent baby face. You can't do it all perfectly in pro wrestling, but, you know, you can try harder than that. That did live zero favors. No, no.
1: Sometimes it's uh, cold and dry in the valley. I guess you could say, and and that can happen. But um, yeah, you know, baby faces, they they make bad emotional decisions sometimes. Doesn't mean that they're weak. Doesn't mean that they're pathetic. And unfortunately, with Austin Theory and Live,
3: we've had that way too often. Back in a moment of Observer Live. Right, in one hour here, Filthy Ford Ailey, myself, and Filthy Tom Lawler, and uh, no gimmickry today. We got a lot to talk about. We got SmackDown, we got New Japan Strong, we have the semifinals and finals from the Stardom pay-per-view this past weekend. Tom watched ten Antonio Inoki matches, <laughs> and uh, yeah, we got to get through all of that in an hour. So if you're interested in any of those topics, Filthy Fordale. Video.f4wonline.com, you can watch live at 2 Pacific, 5 Eastern. Oh, God, I hope we watch the island match with Saito. I should watch that before the It'll show. It'll
1: take him two hours
3: to talk about it. And then Wrestling Observer, uh, it's like a 40-minute match or hour and 40 minutes or something. Yeah. I don't have time to watch that one. And then at WrestlingObserver.com, you can listen to all the shows as well because WrestlingObserver.com has every show we've ever done archived dating back to 2005. We are now over 14,000 shows. I remember when I was a kid. Yeah. Went to the Smithsonian Institute. Uh-huh. And they said, "You know, if you uh if you wanted to look at every exhibit in the Smithsonian, you couldn't do it in your lifetime." Wow. And I was like, "That's BS. It's like five buildings. I mean, I could probably do it in a week. I couldn't spend a lot of time on everything, but you know, at worst a year." But you're telling me you're telling me if I lived to be 85, 105 years old, whatever, I couldn't look at everything in this. Mis- I find that impossible. to Especially
1: believe. if we moved to D.C. Yeah, really.
3: Now if you're counting, like we got a whole bunch of books there, and you'd have to, we're counting you right. reading every book cover to cover. Yeah. That's fine, but you know, when I look at 14,000 archived podcasts, you could do it in your lifetime, but you could probably be better served doing something else. But you know what? They're there. They and are. If you want to go back and listen to this show or that. Well, listen to all the Brian and Bitty shows from start to finish. Starting in, like, 2019 would be my recommendation. But there's a lot of stuff there, so check it out, wrestlingobserver.com. And that is it, everybody. We are out of time. Thanks, Mike, as always, callers and listeners. Everybody in the studio. We'll talk to you next time. Wrestling Observer Live!